Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to this podcast, The Resurrection of Your Church. This is podcast number three. The clock is ticking for the church, but the time is ripe. In the last installment, we looked at the life stages and the life cycles of churches. The typical cycle is growth, then a slow and unconscious drift from kingdom culture and the basics and the goals and objectives of Christianity, followed by a busyness that wears people out, doing non-essential things that do not move the kingdom forward. This is followed by plateau and then decline. In our time together today, we're going to take a look at and focus on timing, God's timing, and the signs of the seasons, which is very exciting right now, actually, as we look at this. The Bible reports that the focus on timing is in the words of seasons, and it's the way God relates to us about that. So you hear a lot about seeds and growth and pruning and harvest, fruit, soil, weeds, all that sort of stuff is in the Bible. So these are ways that the scripture shows the seasons the Christian movement can take one way or the other. So let's take a look at and think about what season is it in your church? And how do you know? How do you identify your season? And when you do that, what can you do about it? Or what is God providing to do about it? Well, here's what we discovered. Some people in every church have what we call holy discontent. We made up that name for a phenomenon that we had never seen before. And you can think of it as the Holy Spirit seeds for a new season. These people are literally seeds for a future harvest if they're watered, cultivated, weeds pulled, nurtured, and come to harvest. People that have holy discontent, you might be one of them. You'll be able to get an idea of that and maybe self-describe yourself as we continue. So these are people that have holy discontent, and they need to be clearly distinguished from people that have unholy discontent. There are always those people in every church. They are the complainers. It's my way or the highway for those kind of people. They say things to pastors like, if you keep preaching so long, I'm going to go down to the church down the road. They say things like, if I don't have it my way, I think we ought to go this direction, and the leaders are going that direction, and I'm out of here. I'm not going to go with the crowd. Sometimes they become a hybrid of complainers and they become leaders of complaints and gather a little crowd. We call them church bullies. It's not a very affectionate term, but they tend to literally bully the body of Christ. They don't always know it and they don't always mean to. They're people that are just unhappy people and usually have a very minimal theological depth, a biblical depth of understanding. And they're high control people and they just really frustrate 
pastors and church leaders, and they do more damage to churches than most people could ever believe. Well, those are all people in the category of unholy discontent. That's not what we're going to be talking about. We're talking about people with a holy discontent. These are people that love God. They love their church. These are people that are very involved in the good sense. They love their pastors. They're committed. They're a strong in financial giving. They're active in the work of the church. But here's the challenge. They are often in churches, at least in this time of history right now, they are what we would call a hidden people group. People don't know that they exist. Pastors often don't know that they exist. And there's a reason for that. They don't want to be seen as complainers. So their discontent stays inside of them and may be shared at home with their spouse. But they have it and they can't find a cure. They can't get over it. They have this gnawing issue of discontent. You might also call it a spiritual restlessness. Sometimes we call it that as well, just to be able to explain it. Well, our discovery of these people came in 2008. Now, that's a while ago, but it's an interesting moment in history because our consultants, when they go out to churches, if you haven't been in a consultation with our ministry, what we do is we gather a lot of information ahead of time, and then we analyze that, and our graphics department puts that in all sort of analytical graphs, and that's available to the consultant. Then the consultant goes to the church and interviews the pastor and the leaders and a cross-section of the congregation. And in these personal and confidential interviews, people just bare their souls. It's just unbelievable what they will tell a person from out of town who's a so-called expert and promises them confidentiality. It's a great way to gather information. You can't do it inside the church, but having an outsider come in really works well, especially when the outsider is a trained and experienced consultant who can ask the right questions. Well, in 2008, we started to see something in these interviews, not every interview, but among the interviews, we began to see something we had never seen before. It was totally new. And it's an interesting experience because our individual consultants did not share this experience with each other. They thought it was an anomaly. It was just something that was rare to one church. And then they saw it in another one. And finally, somebody broke the ice and said to some of our other consultants, hey, are you guys coming across this sort of thing? And they said, you know, we are, but we don't know what to call it. We don't know what it is. It's something we've not seen before. These are sold out Christians, love their church and pastor, but they have something in common. And it turns out that all of our reports were similar. These people with holy discontent would say things like this. I just believe our church is just so fantastic. It's so great. We have such a good pastor. We have such great worship services. We have so much going for us, and then comes the other side. I just can't understand why. Why isn't our church growing? Why isn't our sanctuary filled and overflowing? Why aren't people just streaming to our church? Why have we lost the young people? We have so many good things here that I just can't understand, and I can't get over it. I have this frustration, and what we would call it is a 
holy frustration. And you ask them, well, have you shared this with anybody? No, no, I don't want to sound like one of those complainers. So they're keeping it to themselves, and they have no idea that there are very likely other people in the congregation that have the same experience. But they're all quiet, and no one knows that there's more than just themselves. And so this holy discontent, or you could call it spiritual restlessness, is a group of people that love God, love the church, and are just wide open for whatever the Holy Spirit's going to do. In fact, we think the Holy Spirit causes these people to be people that have holy discontent. And when you think about that, what it means, and as we studied this, we discovered we call these people also people that could be early adopters in a movement within the church that could ultimately grow into more people and more people and more people and become a critical mass. And literally, God, through these people, transform a church to be a growing and powerful entity in the kingdom picture of a nation and in their community. And so we call them people with holy discontent or spiritual restlessness. And also in the bigger picture of their congregation, these are the forerunners. These are the early adopters that may influence others and then others. And we call it like a pebble in a pond with all those concentric rings that get larger and larger and larger until they reach the shores of the pond and that would be the entire congregation. But nobody knows who these people are, and nobody knows how to surface them. Well, at Church Doctor Ministries, we've developed some surveys, several of them, to identify these people with holy discontent. And we've used them in a number of churches in our consultation process. And when you ask the people and you explain what it means to have holy discontent, they say, yeah, that's right, that's me. I don't want to be branded as a complainer, but yeah, that's me. I'm frustrated and it won't go away. And when we describe to them that they are part of the solution, not part of the problem, we can get them out of the closet of fear that they don't want to sound like complainers because these people are not negative about things. These people are the very seeds of a new season for the congregation. So we've developed these surveys and identified these people. When they become nurtured, when they're nurtured and they become a critical mass in a congregation, they are people who can imprint the congregation to a new season of life and vitality and growth. And so we've developed that same thing, that process whereby we nurture these people and then they influence people in the congregation with whom they have a relationship slowly and sensitively. And then this grows and grows as a movement within the church. And under our direction, it will become a congregation that experiences a dramatic change and renewal is the way that people who study churches talk about it as a renewal of the church Another way to describe it is when there's a critical mass, the very nature of the church changes and people don't see it coming. It just happens. And usually it's already happened before most people realize it. They kind of get blindsided from behind in a good way, in a positive way. And they say, wow, you know, I just suddenly realized our church, when you compare it to like five years ago or two years ago or whatever, this is a different church, and they're smiling while they say this. They are really happy and very excited. This is contagious. 
So sometimes we call this a breakthrough in the church, a breakthrough from that cycle of a discouraging cycle of downward spiral. And of course, many churches, probably up to 90% of the churches in America, are in this situation. And from our experience, I would say that 100% of the churches in America, including the 90%, of course, would have people that have this holy discontent, but they're a hidden people group. Another reason the timing for breakthrough is really good right now is because of the moment we live in history. People 100 years ago didn't live in this moment of history. 200 years ago didn't live in this moment. 300 years, 400 years ago. But 500 years ago, they did. And 500 years before that, they did. And 500 years before that, they did. This is kind of unusual, and it's fascinating to think about. There is a great historian and theologian. She's now gone to be with the Lord, but her name is Phyllis Tickle. And she wrote a book called The Great Emergence, How Christianity is Changing and Why. Surprisingly, and almost in retrospect, did we really put this together, this book was published in 2008. This is the same year that we began to discover people with holy discontent. You think God might be up to something? I mean, this is unbelievable. Now, Phyllis Tickle's observations are amazing. And if you go back and you know anything about Christian history, this will just light you up. It is amazing. It excites me so much. Phyllis Tickle says that every 500 years, the church during the previous 499 years has collected a bunch of stuff that has slowed it down. A lot of stuff that has drift from kingdom culture. A lot of stuff that really subtly contributes to the decline and the ineffectiveness of this great and wonderful, powerful thing God has made called the body of Christ. And she says every 500 years, not exactly on the day, but around 500 years. It's never to the actual day or even the month, but somewhere in that period, very close to 500 years, the church wakes up and decides to clean out the attic and has a huge rummage sale, getting rid of all the things that have held it back and gets back to basics what we would call getting back to the kingdom culture, the body of Christ, the way Jesus intended. And you just look at this and you can't hardly deny what God is doing. So let's take a look at history for a minute and say, okay, when was the last major adjustment? When was that? Do we know about that? What was that called? Well, it was called the Protestant Reformation. And how many years ago? Well, on October 31st, 2017, it's the 500th birthday of the Reformation. Now, again, nothing is exact about this. It's not an exact moment or day or time, but it's a seasonal kind of thing. And it's around that time that it's about somewhere around 500 years. So what Phyllis Tickle says is that every 500 years, three measurable changes occur from this time of rummage sale, if you will. And these three measurable changes occur in churches for good. At Church Doctor Ministries, we have developed ways and we're excited about helping churches reach these three measurable changes. Number one is a new, more vital form of Christianity emerges 
Other writers might call that a renewal, a spiritual renewal. People that look at the history of the Christian church say that a renewal in churches always occurs in nations where there are churches before a revival breaks out. Now, this doesn't mean every Christian has this more vital form of Christianity, and it doesn't mean every church, and it isn't everywhere, in every place, but it's a general pattern. And I really believe that the leaders of the church either take a look at this and are willing to put a toe in the water and then finally wade into this great renewal, or they just ignore it or sometimes even criticize it and move toward a history of decline further and ultimately churches and whole movements of churches just decline to the point of death, go out of business. The second measurable change that Phyllis Tickle talks about is the Christian movement gets back to basics. This is incredible because this is exactly before we read this book, what we've been talking about. They become receptive and more directive in the mission of the church, and they go through kind of a divine makeover. In our terminology, not philistickles, but in ours, we have been calling that kingdom culture, getting back to what Jesus told the disciples the kingdom is supposed to be. We are supposed to be kingdom people. As Christians and as kingdom people, we should live in kingdom culture. All the values and the beliefs and the attitudes and the priorities and the worldviews, all those things like a, a DNA helix that make up culture, the culture of the king, the culture of the church, those things, when we get back to them and are centered on them, the church just comes alive and the effectiveness is what they call renewal and the effectiveness continues out into the community, into the world, into your region and becomes a revival. The third measurable change that Phyllis Tickle talks about is the over-established Christianity that would be all the churches that have clutter and even movements of churches like denominations. The clutter is removed and the faith begins to spread. This is when it goes to revival and Christianity generally grows. There are new people that come to Christ. There are new groups of people that are reached and that's all part of this beautiful movement that God does. Well, we're in that season. She also says that there are hierarchical systems like denominations that from the bottom up, from churches on up the system to the top of the denominational leadership, these systems are either forced to retool how they do business, how they do Christianity, or they cease to exist. Very interesting, they go out of existence. When we think about that, denominational systems have only been around, what, for a few hundred years. So they've served a great purpose at one time, but it might not be what God has in mind for the future. Or retooled, they might take up the mantle of leadership again and really become a support mechanism for the local church. Most church people today, if you ask them, in somewhat a sympathetic and sad way of expression, consider their leadership of their denomination somewhat irrelevant. 
and those denominations are the containers for churches. Well, not all churches. There are non-denominational churches, and there's some of the growing churches in our world, but the denominational churches that have a denominational affinity and a group that sort of organizes them may find some renewal or may find that they go out of existence. Very interesting thing that Jesus said. He said that new wine needs new wineskins. And what he's talking about is when there's renewal, that's new wine. It's uh, Jesus' way of talking about an awakening in the church, a wake-up call. It's Jesus' way of talking about renewal, new wine. Jesus says you don't put new wine into an old wineskin. The wineskin is the container of Christianity. Now, that can be sometimes the denomination. It can be the local church. It can be a group of local churches. It can include maybe your church facility. Maybe it's old and worn out. Looks like something out of another century. Does not look new and fresh at all. And even though regarding the building, we never would say, build it and they will come. That's a false notion of Christianity. You build a building and expect your church to grow, you're making a huge mistake. And many churches, even when they start growing, build huge facilities rather than multiply sites. And they make huge mistakes as well because seasons change things. And sometimes that becomes what the Bible calls a millstone around your neck. All that building, all that expense, all that budget that goes toward bricks and mortar, not people. So it's a very big deal. So these new wineskins can be many, many things. We would say that in addition to things like buildings or ways of doing things that could be old wineskins or even denominations, we would say that the culture in the church might be the primary issue of old wine. That old stuff in the attic that Phyllis Tickle talks about, it's got to be removed, got to make space for something new, and needs to be discarded in a rummage sale. So new wine needs new wineskins. So we're not just talking about a quick fix or a little program. We're talking about a revolution in the good sense and an exciting sense and a great and wonderful sense, a renewal of the church. And everything we've seen since 2008 points that we're moving in that direction. I hope this excites you. I hope it'll lead you to move deeper into trying to figure this out for your church read literature, look into how your church can be helped because the timing is just great right now. We're in the spring of a new season of Christianity. Some churches will come out of this just alive and exciting. Others will look the other way and miss it altogether. In our next installment of this podcast, we're going to take a look at the history of these 500-year increments, and it'll really be insightful for you. And we're going to look at what it will look like and what might be coming next. So it's exciting. God bless you. And keep praying the prayer, Lord, bring revival, beginning with me. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Also, if you'd like to learn more about this topic, please check out Kent Hunter's new book, 
Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, in stores on September 12, 2017.